0: So I don't know what a colonoscopy is, but you get to drink Guinness after it.
1: Um, well, you know, once the once the procedure is over, you're pretty good to go for a lot of things after that. You're allowed to eat. Uh, I didn't eat for two days, so technically one day, I guess. But um, so,
0: are we recording? Uh, yes. Good. So, what is what is the fr- what did you eat after not eating for two days?
1: Uh, burrito. What, what else would you eat after not eating for, t- you need to repopulate that colon. How how else are you going to repopulate that colon other than a big ass bowl of guacamole and a big ass burrito?
0: I don't know. I feel like there's a few ways you could do it.
1: There's a few ways I could have done it, but it was just what I, it was, it was close by. It was utilitarian. It was what I was feeling. Also, the good thing about I was kind of high off of the drugs drinks. from the, from the, uh, procedure.
0: Yeah, it's like you could eat chicken wings but like uh, you're filling up with like spicy food. It's all Oh, protein. you're not
1: allowed to have spicy food. So I so I had a very bland burrito, no no hots.
0: Okay, see, so there's some rules about this. So you yeah. can have You're
1: not allowed to drink, beer. but uh I, I immediately Wait. You're not allowed to drink, but um I took it upon myself to Google why I wasn't allowed to drink and decided I would do it anyway
0: ok, so why aren't you allowed to drink? And there's why no real reason oh, okay, it's it's
1: mainly because they because there's not a good uh, the the drugs used during anesthesia aren't well um researched after the effects after you leave. I don't know why no one has thought to research um the effects of it hours afterwards, but uh, I guess that's that's what I read is that they just don't know. Uh, how long those effects will last, and that they're not—they uh, don't mix well. But I'm mixing great over here, correspondent. Uh, R. I've been
0: told that if R-Curban. you take like, medication that makes you drowsy, and then you take alcohol, it can actually make you more drowsy.
1: Which is good, because that's what you want, right? Maybe. Yeah, so maybe maybe it's something like that because it, it's it was like they gave me Propothol. I thought they were gonna give me versed, but they gave me Propothol, which is good because the the uh, anesthesi- anesthesiologist explained to me that you would remember this as the drug that killed Michael Jackson. And I said, "Oh, that's good, thank you." <laughs> that's that's what I want to hear before I get knocked
0: out. <laughs> I do I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, like, like 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 oh, good. The, the the the
1: only time I've really known about this drug is that it killed Michael Jackson. And I was like, oh, oh, I thought that was that was uh, fentanyl. And then they were like, no, that killed Prince. And I was like, well, fentanyl's better, and Prince was better anyway. Fight me.
0: Oof. All right. So, so why did you? What's a colonoscopy do? What did you? Why did you get it in the first place? Um,
1: you know, once you once you get old enough, you just start having to get people to go up your bumhole to look around for cancer. Uh, for me, it was more like I was getting some stomach issues. Didn't know if it's just like some typical kind of ibs situation uh but wanted to rule it out and felt like you know i'm not i'm not a slouch when it comes to health things so if i feel like there's an issue i'm gonna go the the distance you know what i mean are you
0: still on like the gold plan i am on the gold plan
1: i don't and i only pay for the silver plan uh uh or bronze plan actually because it was only bronze to gold uh uh, uh, loyal LT, uh, loyal WTDG listeners. Only, only WTDG listeners born in the '90s will understand that joke.
0: So the colonoscopy. I mean, you you still didn't say like um, people out there, listeners might know what a colonoscopy is, but I don't. Really, so what what benefit does it give to you? Uh,
1: they they knock you out and put a huge uh camera tube up your ass six feet in. Did you not? Is that For was that a surprise to you? What? Oh, to look around and see for uh, cancer or anything. I had two polyps, and What's they a polyp? uh, like a growth kind of thing, and they were removed using some sort of freezing blade, as I understand it. Very cool. It. Yeah, I know. Very cool. Very good. They told me uh, so. They so I had a whole printout that said I had a ten millimeter polyp and a five millimeter polyp, which is good because I I like that I had it in denominations of five. It's a good deca system kind of thing that my body was doing, and. Uh, they used that cyber blade to cut down on the polyps. And then they said, you know, it's good that, you know, nothing serious, no no cancer or anything like that. But it's good that you got this because if you are prone to these polyps, then you're also prone to possibly colon cancer. So I'm going to recommend that from the rest of your life, you kind of do this every three or so years, which is both a death sentence and a blessing. But now I know in the future that I should do it. Uh, I will say that the procedure itself is good because you're not really conscious for it. And, uh, uh, the, I I have, the last time I had anesthesia was when I was, uh, I believe eight And they removed my appendix. I had an appendectomy, and so I don't really remember obviously a lot of it and I was eight. Um, It's good that in my adult life when I have you know a better memory day-to-day of things like that I have had I have a better touchstone for anesthesia because uh, it's something that I will probably almost definitely in the future need to go under anesthesia again for some sort of operation and it's good to like not have a lot of fear Um, I thought it was pretty crazy because, uh, uh, I, 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 it literally was as they were like actually, uh, putting the plunger of this propothol into me, which was this white, white liquid. They were like, they, they, they started doing it and I was like, I'm a little scared. And then, and then the anesthesiologist was like, why? And I was like, well, you don't want to get knocked out even though, you know, that's your, your profession. And then after I said that, as the plunger was going down I said my face is tingling and then I was and then it was out all I had time I was out so fast that I was like it wasn't like a like like I was worried that it was gonna be kind of like because I haven't had it in a while so I was worried there was gonna be kind of thing where like you're getting knocked out and you're like oh man I'm scared I'm like my fight or flight is reacting where I'm like I'm trying to stay awake because my body is like telling me that I'm like numb and sleeping but it was so fast that it was like I literally had time to think my face is numb and then over the however that like second or two was enough to be complete blackness
0: but now it's done
1: now it's done so I'm back to my regular life I guess
0: so welcome back. Do you th- so does your diet get the change? Are you nah. are you now less less um, likely to have issues with your stomach or
1: no real changes to anything? Just like you know whatever is going on right now. If I'm like having more issues with my stomach, it's more. It's not a I, at the very least I know it's like not a serious thing. I've always had some issues with my stomach, so at the yeah. very least I know like like it, it's good to have that peace of mind of like of like there was. There was a change in the way my stomach works, and that it wasn't very serious. So, at least I've got yeah. that. Yeah.
0: Well, maybe you have stomach problems just because you're an anxious little boy.
1: I am an anxious little boy.
0: I, I mean, take that's Lexapro. Why I, have them.
1: I snort up twenty milligrams of Lexapro every night.
0: That's cool. Yeah, I'm. I'm on the Lamictal, so you know. That I sounds like
1: you. a uh, boss from Bloodborne.
0: Yeah, Lamictal the uh, the dark.
1: The uh, the, the, the nauseous goose, yeah. Um, yeah. There
0: you go. Uh, um, so that's awesome. Good for you. I you, know you you survived. I a, had a another, camera. I had something all a, the way six feet up knife. my
1: butt. I guess I would be a, I would be an extremely popular gay man.
0: I mean, what do you think? Like, what kind of monster do you have to like hunt and kill to get the frost blade of of anal incision?
1: I don't know. Um, my doctor. Uh, I forgot I just forgot his name I've been saying it the entire day. Huh, I'm a, I'm a I'm a moron. Um I don't know, my doctor must have, you know, uh do you think it's a do you think it's a because we're, you know, obviously going to be on the topic. Do you think it's more of a JRPG thing where he got the drop or do you think it's more of a Monster Hunter scenario where he had to fight the frozen cold Teroth and uh you know, fight that five or six times to finally craft a glacier blade and that was what allowed because how how else would you be a gastrointestinal like a colonoscopist or whatever it's a
0: quest reward right it's a quest reward you you think you do the you do the eight years of school and at the end of
1: it and then he spun the the glacier blade around the freezing blade
0: yeah Um, you know
1: if you think about now, he, it in terms of Octopath Traveler, it was as if my my ass polyps were uh, weak to icicle. Oh, there you go. So there you go.
0: How would you know about that?
1: That's a great question. Oh, I never told you this, huh?
0: Oh, surprise! So, so, so you got Octopath Traveler, huh? Well,
1: I spent all yesterday in the bathroom, so I needed something. Fair enough. I and let me tell you, the uh, they. There was, there was lots of uh, uh, funny Newsday cuts of different comics in the reception area of this doctor's office. And one of them said, "We uh, said this is hell. And, you know, it was Satan sitting at a desk and it was uh, said colonoscopies. And there was people walking towards it, which already seems like kind of a strange thing that you'd put up in a place that people are about to have a colonoscopy. Um, but it said... Uh, uh, hell really isn't the colonoscopy; it's the prep, and I laughed at that. Now, now it makes more sense to me because yes, it is the prep. Let me tell so you. So,
0: are you trying to say that playing Octopath Traveler on the toilet was hell? Um,
1: it was actually the only enjoyable thing about my day yesterday. I there was a uh, yeah. Uh, it was the only th- enjoyable thing about my day yesterday. Um. I have I don't have a ton to say about Octopath Traveler. I want to hear a little bit more, but I I have like a little bit to add. Um, I'm and I'm I also wanted to start with video games because I feel like it's sad that we've moved so far away from our homeland. Um, and on this July the 18th, be with you. I feel like we should return a little bit to our roots. And at le and the very least, we got like a video game to start out the podcast. So Octopath Traveler, um, you have played more than I have. Uh, I hate yeah, that's true. a lot of JRPGs and I it took a lot of convincing from you and other people in industry buzz to be interested in it and it also in fact the nail in the coffin was more the fact that I was largely jailed in my bathroom um so so I didn't have Great options for enjoyable stuff. I mean, I spent a lot of time stuff
0: on the Switch, though, right?
1: There, there is some stuff on the Switch, um, and uh, but I, I thought it would be an okay thing. Um, Octopath Traveler, you uh, as if you listened from last week, or if you know anything about it, it is a pretty traditional JRPG, um, which is horrible, uh, which is bad, but but it's good because I'm gonna explain how it's actually actually a good. decent game outside of the fact that it's one of the worst possible genres um uh it you pick one of eight characters to go and they all have their own story and i assume at some point they meet up but uh i okay well i can't so okay so you but you do live in the same world as the other eight characters as the other characters and you pick a character and you play a little bit with them, and you can, I assume, switch, right? I, I finished a prologue for one of the characters, for the apothecary.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, wow, you picked the apothecary. That's the same guy I picked. Okay. So. Did I- you know that the? Uh, did you know that fun fact? Uh, fun fact of the day: that the uh, octopath um, is an abbreviation for the eight characters' um, first names.
1: Oh wow! No, I did not know that.
0: Well, there you go. That's your uh, fun fact of the day.
1: Um, the the thing I would say right away is that uh, the initial prologue of the Apothecary, gameplay wise, not that surprising. Graphically, um, it's different. It's unique. It's the. It's basically like a three D modeled world with. 2D sprites and a lot of filtering that almost looks like... You know, that's like, the Unreal Engine, right? Yeah, it is the Unreal Engine. I thought that was crazy when I saw that. Um, but uh, it almost reminds me of, like, the worst of N64 graphics where it's very blurry uh, to the point where, like, it's hard to make out any distinct lines sometimes. Um, but uh, the the thing that I would say that would draw me to going into this game, and you did say this last week, and it it is weird how refreshing... This simple tiny fact is, and that is that, the beginning of this apothecary story is a personal story, and I feel like it's so refreshing because I just have not seen a narrative like that in a long time in a, in a in a in a in a in a JRPG and maybe in the the medium of video games. It's it's not a uh the the, the setup was that you're – for the apothecary is that you're a pretty good apothecary in this tiny town and everyone kind of knows each other and it's very very small and you kind of want to travel the world because when you were a kid uh this this uh apothecary saved you and they kind of said that their whole life goal they said like you know it it wasn't about being thanked it's about seeing a person that's in a bind and helping and so they kind of want to Help people outside the borders of the town and learn more and become a better apothecary and that's it and
0: yeah And and And, and all eight stories are like that. I mean not you know not that specifically But they are all these like personal character stories where everyone has something that they're aiming for and You know you go through the chapters and, and you see it and then there's also some some other stuff on the side I actually do think that the story might be not not actually the story overall but actually just like some of the dialogue is probably the worst part about the game, in my opinion.
1: Some of the dialogue isn't great. I have it on Japanese, so I don't have to listen to English speakers try and stumble over some of the things they say. But it's not I, I guess the dialogue isn't good, but it's almost like uh homey, like nostalgic almost. Like it's like not good, but it's not it's also not on like very serious topics. There's something like a little heartwarming, and I really do mean heartwarming in a way that, like, sure. is, like, that emotion isn't really present in games, but, like, Octopath Traveler just taking this as a character that is, like, pretty simple characters, but that they, that, like, like the fact that, that like, the character is just, like, hey, I want to get better at being an apothecary, and I'm a nice guy, um, you know, and I just want to be better and help people... And then there, and then at the end of that sentence is a period and not, um, but also I got stumbled in and the, the world's at stake and the, the great demon is arisen and the, and the great demon will consume all. And like the fact that it just ends there, the fact that it just ends with like, I want to be a better apothecary. There's something that like touches me in a way about that. That is like, I actually do want to see your story, um, even if it's very basic, because yeah. because you're not you're not trying to defeat some ultimate evil you're just trying to get better at what you do and that's such a that's such like a tangible thing that's such a like it's i think that's something that like a lot of people can understand in a non JRPG fashion of like you have something you do in your life and you want to get better at it and that's it like there's not a big thing like you're defeating a demon he just cares about being better at this and I, and that's one story and it 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 really does like it really does like touch the heart a little bit because it's not presenting this ridiculous outrageous scenario. it's presenting kind of a basic scenario and it kind of there's something like that that takes me off guard about that in a way sure. that is like like the weirdly enough outside of any trappings of Octopath traveler the first this is the first thing I would go to as a selling point is like there is no big Thing. There's just a bunch of individuals that have these personal stories and there's not a, there doesn't have to yeah. be a greater thing. There doesn't have to be a and, God. And I
0: like that. But but I do think that one of the things that, you know, makes it difficult, um, specifically with the narrative is like, you don't have to get more characters. You could play through the game with just the apothecary alone and experience his story Without picking up more people. Or maybe you pick up half of the characters and you leave the other half behind. But sort of because of the way that they want to accommodate this flexibility, there's really no interaction between any of the characters.
1: Oh, that's worrisome. So
0: do, do you know what I mean? There's no, I like know what a, you mean. A, the, instead I, of I the haven't game, encountered it, of, but I
1: know exactly what you mean. Is it like it doesn't really <laughs> lend itself to that because there's too much interact, too many interactions that could possibly happen i'm surprised they didn't do that thing that uh tales games do where like you're walking around and it's like have a conversation between the main character and another character you know
0: yeah i mean they even do that in like a uh, persona five right when if you're in the um the underground area your characters will just like have mini dialogues under it and it's totally like throwaway, but it adds like spice to the story, it adds like spice to the characters, and I feel like um, I feel like the, the characters in Octopath aren't going to be very spicy. They're all just going to be you know eight main dishes, like an almost like an eight course meal, but not French cuisine because in French cuisine, you, you sort of have that, um, or or I forget what they call it in the in the Japanese sort of the way that they do the flights, where the flights sort of um, they have like a crescendo and highs and lows. Whereas instead an Octopath Traveler, they don't really have that, those highs and lows. Instead, it's just like, here's eight meals. So if you want eight meals, I've got your meatloaf. I've got your pizza. I've got your, your burrito. Great after a colonoscopy. Um, I've always said that. That's interesting. So, you know, here's five of them. Eat them in any order you want. Uh, because it doesn't matter. Whereas, you know, in, in a nice flight, you, you have that sort of lead in where, where someone, you know, the, the first dish might tease you on the second dish, or, or you might have like that really quiet, simple, small third dish to sort of cleanse your palate before you go into like the greater, larger fourth dish. Or in the case of Octopath Traveler, eat the pizza, eat the meatloaf, eat the burger, eat some of them, and not all of them, you're gonna get full.
1: It's a barik situation where, um, where you just got a pizza.
0: But similarly to barik, where you sort of just order what you want, it comes to the table and you eat it and with no rhyme or reason, the food at barik is awesome, right? And, yes, and similarly, the, so. actual, the actual gameplay of Octopath Traveler, uh, in spite of its structure, is awesome. Like the actual way that the game plays and, and for for all of the ways that the narrative doesn't support the cohesion of this group dynamic, the gameplay does because of the way that all of the characters have these different path abilities. So whereas let's say that you are in um, the Apothecary's chapter two and three and um, Just the fact that the characters don't interact with them doesn't mean that the underlying systems that the other characters provide are not. So what I mean is you might be looking for a specific item, and whereas the apothecary is inquiring to try to find that item, uh, the thief could be trying to steal that item, or the hunter could be trying to provoke a fight to open up an area where you might access that item through other means. So there are the gameplay accommodations of it. and I, and I also I, one thing that you're gonna find out very soon is that you know with this flexibility of when and when you get the characters, uh, the game actually scales up for that. the There's actually level scaling through the prologues of the characters. I, I don't know if that proceeds into the rest of the game, but I think that it's very cool that the game continues to be challenging um, if you want to get four characters, if you want to get eight characters. It's not just like, okay, so I've done uh, the first two or three characters prologues, and now I'm way over leveled for the prologue areas, so I'm just going to rocket through them. It actually scales. Okay. Imagine if it didn't. That would be miserable.
1: Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say?
0: Um, I'm in the middle of eating, so I'm kind of in this um, tricky scenario where I need you to say more, but I do have more to say about the game.
1: Oh, that's rough because uh, I kind of said. Where are you going
0: next? Like, what characters are you eyeing?
1: Can Can you switch after the prologue? How do you switch? I haven't really found that option.
0: After the prologue ends, you just did you fight the, did you like fight the boss of the? prologue? I fought the
1: viper thing, and I did the whole story, and then he said, you know, I gotta leave, and then it said, you know, okay, you can leave.
0: So then the world is open, and you just go to whatever character you want.
1: I thought that, but I don't know. I didn't see. I saw a world map and the characters on it, but I couldn't hit a button to go between them that I could figure out.
0: Yeah, no, so that's it. So you use your character, and you walk to those places. Wait, really? Yeah.
1: Seriously? I have to walk there? Open
0: world. Oh, okay. And once you hit those places, you fast travel between towns. Okay. Uh, so it's pretty cool. Uh, one uh, minor complaint that I have is so the characters do have really like robust combat abilities, where the apothecary is like mixing things together to make concoctions, and he doesn't know what he's going to get. Uh, the hunter sort of has this Pokemon-style weaken enemies, capture them, and then you can summon them. And you know the dancer has this ability where she can. Um, lure people and then take them into combat and if you lure someone who's really powerful then then they're gonna supplement you in some really awesome ways um, however there's only really four distinct path actions and then two flavors of each okay so the character of the apothecary has inquire and then there is another character who has scrutinize which for most purposes, is almost exactly the same. Uh, sort of the flavor text that you'll get when you use it will be different, but other than that, they operate in the same way. Whereas the hunter has Provoke, um, the, there's another character who has a noble version of Provoke called Challenge. And the, the, way, the differences in these is the way that they will affect your uh, standing and reputation with towns. And once you, uh, essentially, if you fail a bunch of like uh, rogue path actions, uh, you'll no longer be able to perform path actions in those town unless you repair your reputation. Uh, And the rogue actions are stronger, but the noble actions are safer. Okay. I think I got it. And I love the combat. I think it's really good. And I think that so far it's been pretty challenging as well. Okay. What other games do you game?
1: Uh, mostly just uh, for video games, mostly just Dragon Ball Fighters. Just loving that game. Uh, there's going to be... Why? Today, uh, they announced Base Vegeta and Base Goku.
0: Oh, boy. Yeah,
1: oh, boy. I mean, I, I, it's, it, it's like I, I think that those characters could stand to be fun and interesting and cool and could be done well and i kind of like like it looks like the base goku and base vegeta are in a different art style so they won't even have the same face or like body structure as the other vegeta and goku's um but like holy shit like people joke a lot about this like we knew this we we kind of knew beforehand but yeah it was like data mined, and everything has turned out to be right over and over and over again so uh the like this isn't like a big surprise at all because like there was a data mine that said there was going to be base goku and base vegeta i think the other characters supposed to be coming are like cooler and what is it? Cooler and Kefla, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, but um,
0: those characters are actually cool, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, Cooler would have been nice. Uh, uh, would have been kind of nice. Like, I, I, I'm, I think that they, 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 they stand to be cool. But you know, from an aesthetic standpoint, like we have a lot of Goku's, and that is a good joke, hilarious, haha. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I know that from people. If you played other Dragon Ball games, that's not necessarily a big surprise. Like in Budokai or in Xenoverse uh, to uh, there's like tons of, they, they have all the, you know, base Goku and, and different of the Saiyan forms of Goku and blue Goku and silver Goku and Goku black, who is not even Goku. It's Zamasu but that doesn't and Goku's make it body. Better. But that doesn't make it, yeah, it doesn't make it better. Like from a, from a like massive st- fan standpoint like i understand the purpose of like why you want base goku and stuff like that but from honest i don't from like but you're not a massive fan
0: but the super fans you really think they want base goku over like i don't know characters from some of the movies
1: uh, I don't. I don't know. Like that's a that's a good question. Like I think don't that... think they want Master
0: Roshi. What about yeah. Kid Goku? Yeah. I would be okay with Kid Goku.
1: Yeah. I think Kid Goku would have been a big enough to de- would have been a good enough departure from it that it would have been uh, a fair fair enough to not say like yeah this is just Goku again this is Kid Goku which makes big difference and they could have had that pole and everything and the the like they they could have done a lot with like flying Nimbus and all this other stuff and not been it has been like as much like Straightforward fighting and been a little bit more tricky Uh, There's cool stuff they could have done Um, The only thing We don't know that much Uh, I think the only thing that's like significant Gameplay wise that I know Is that base goku will have the spirit bomb which i guess is like pretty important oh, because it's never been in there yet and i think that's been the kind of thing is like as soon as we knew about base goku it was like yep there's got to be a way that we can put spirit bomb in the game so yeah of course so i think before that was even announced it was kind of known that I hope like you have to base... mash what
0: i hope you have to mash
1: um the the thing that spirit bomb says is that it is the slowest uh, but most powerful uh, special ab- super ability in the game, so I think it'll be something like it'll come out really slow, but do a lot of damage if it hits. But like you'll have to use it in combos that have like a long lockdown kind of thing, where you can lock lock the enemy down while the spirit bomb is like traveling yeah. before it hits. But then. The big unfortunate thing, and then what, 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 like I, a good argument I heard right away is like, is like, well, that sucks because it's like it sounds interesting from a gameplay standpoint in a fighting game, but in current Dragon Dragon Ball Fighter is like, it just means that you kind of need to even more if you're going to play Goku, like you need to have like Vegeta assist, which is what locks people down or or these other characters that are already good because they already have like lockdown assists or like uh, uh, supers that like either lockdown for a long time or uh, uh, recover really quickly. So it's kind of like no change in the overall, like from a, from a theoretical standpoint, it's like, okay, so if you want to play Goku, it sounds like you literally need to play Super Saiyan Vegeta as an anchor like everyone else does, because You know, you need someone, you need something to lock down the character for a couple moments while you're doing that. And that's not exciting to hear. Or like Majin Kidboo, who is like also the best character in the game, uh, has a super that like uh locks it puts the enemy in like a ton of stun while they're getting hit by it so much so that other characters are able to like cell is able to like use his level one this is you know crazy speak uh and then kid boo does his level one and then cell can redo his level one because the enemy has been stunned so long by kid boo's attack so it's like stuff like that where it's like the characters that are already good and already do that are going to do that more so it's It's not really it's not really interesting Uh um
0: I hope so that... that's the Dragon Ball Fighters. That's all the time I'm going to give you, Ryan. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Um so so this is a little weird, but I've actually been like um I don't want to say obsessed, but I I think that the right word is obsessed with Cultist Simulator.
1: I know you've been talking about it, and I saw you playing it before it's... when I was playing Dragon Ball Fighters.
0: I was um I actually just accidentally leave it on sometimes, but I think that my my real in-game time for that game is maybe between forty-five to fifty hours, um, and and it's not like it's not it's so weird to explain. And I and I read it in a review that it's not like an addiction that draws you to that game, but there's actually something like seductive about it, where like the writing and the music, and and just like the things that you do after a point. They, they become just like, fascinating is the right word, that it, it's hard to, once once you like start getting into a run, it's it can be hard to take it out of your mind. and And it's such a hard game to talk about because so much of that game, it's like talking about the witness. You know what I mean? Where there is a language in that game and there's a way that the game communicates itself. And there's a way of understanding and sort of having these breakthroughs. And once you have these breakthroughs, uh, the, the way that you approach it is different. So much so that for me to tell you why the game is so fascinating almost, almost like breaks it.
1: You know what was crazy? You said The Witness and I had that like adrenaline rush of like, how good was that game? The Witness was unbelievable. Yeah. The Witness is like un- unbelievable.
0: The Witness is the kind of game that I will never forget. And I don't think that the that cultist simulator is gonna be that for everyone. I don't think that the witness is that for everyone, but Cultist simulator definitely is that for me
1: that that is so amazing when you when you hear that That's the kind of thing where if I was gonna like look back on games as a whole like I wonder what I where I put the witness in My game of the year. I guess I can go back to it because I think I have I have that archived uh, of like What was the game of the year that year? It might have been like overwatch beta or something, but the witness was so Incredible that it, that like
0: it to, up for to hear
1: to hear that name alone is like it, it like it sends like a, a serious like hormone rush through my body.
0: But Cult of Simulator, it it hits all these things that I really want in games, and it hits things yeah. that I really like about Path of Exile. Even what? where in Path of Exile, one of your greatest weapons in that game is game knowledge, where at the beginning of a run of cultist simulator you have so many tools and so many things available to you that the person who hasn't put 50 hours into the game wouldn't comprehend and couldn't understand just because i i know what things do like there there are certain cards and like ways of understanding things that they don't make sense at first Uh, And and this sounds like gibberish to anybody who hasn't played this game. But but essentially, I've sort of explained the idea of this game before. And it actually plays a lot like old school adventure games where you have these actions that you can do and you have things that can enact these actions. So you have like a card that represents your job and you can put it into the work slot. You also have these other things that are sort of like uh, attributes, like passion and reason and health. But you can actually put those into your job as well, where if you put reason into your job, then you do clerical work. If you put health into uh, work, then you do like physical labor. Uh, But you also have like different verbs for like study and for dream. And there are different ways that you can approach dreaming where you can try to put health into the dream slot, and what does that do? What happens when you put passion into the dream slot? What happens when you put passion into work? There's just all of these like things that don't reveal themselves until you try it. And sometimes you try it, and, and something is inevitably gonna happen, and eventually you get to the point where everything that happens is shocking where it's totally crazy and totally can change the way that you play the game it's a game about lovecraftian cults so as you can imagine at some point things get weird the things that you can do get weird and just it's it's weird it's a weird awesome game with really good writing
1: wow Um, That's pretty amazing to say, to give it the praise of uh, Witness parallel.
0: So I had a weird dream last night. Um, I had a dream that I was the only person in the world to get this very particular achievement and enter the gungeon. Like there was some weird Easter egg achievement and I was the only person on Earth that got it. And because of that, they invited me and a bunch of, like, speedrunners for Enter the Gungeon and, like, other popular community members to a pre-release for Advanced Gungeons and Dragons. And it was such a bizarre dream. But then I woke up this morning and remembered that that comes out tomorrow.
1: Oh, yeah. I actually am kind of excited about that. For serious.
0: For true. I thought about playing that on the Switch, but... No. The game doesn't have a great frame rate on the Switch. And I I, I want to play that game at 120 frames a second. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that, too. Uh, you know, I also... I got into Hollow Knight, and then Octopath Traveler came out, so... That's,
1: Hollow Knight is always... I feel like I've played Hollow Knight. I've tried to play it, like, three or four times at this point. And there's always something that comes along. Like, Hollow Knight isn't bad. It's very good when I'm playing it. But something always... Like, I'm not... Interested in the next thing in Hollow Knight enough that like something can't come along and topple it and that kind of sucks
0: for, for me the problem is that Hollow Knight the, the zeitgeist behind it has I, I don't want to say that it's came and went because Hollow Knight is very much in the public consciousness, but Everyone who's praising everyone's played it right so at this point i'm already behind So it doesn't matter if I get more behind I'd rather be playing like octopath traveler where i'm experiencing that and everybody else is experiencing that like all at once and like that's one of the issues with like my gaming habits is that i want to be on the up and up are there are there any games uh that that you feel like you need to play that you just haven't had the time to in the year of our lord 2018 um,
1: there is unfortunately a couple, and I feel like a lot of them are like Steam games. I want I really wanted to play more Moonlighter, and I haven't really gone back to that in the way that I should. And uh, there was that other, there was a couple like Metroidvania games. There was that one Metroidvania game with like the sprite work that was about having that like wrench kind of thing. You play as a female, does that ring any bells? You played a little bit, it
0: does, Iconoclasts.
1: Yes, you're correct. So, there's a couple. There's a couple things that, uh, Oh wow. My phone just recorded yeah. me as I said that. And it's, and, uh, it tried to translate what I said and it said ranch kind of thing as a female that rings any bells play a little. Yes, you're correct. So that's mostly correct. So
0: <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, for me, the games are synthetic, uh, which is a rogue light on steam and other platforms. Maybe, uh, Ton of customization, like just massive, huge uh, game that's been constantly updated since the day it came out. Uh, very slow and methodical, top-down shooter roguelite uh, with different classes. Like Enter the Gungeon, but less funny and more like Stark-looking. Uh, another one is Tangle Deep. I'm actually waiting for that to come out on Switch. Uh, I really, really loved all the time I spent with Tangle Deep. And I'm willing to play it more. Uh, But the big one, and this might come as a surprise to you, uh, but it's Celeste.
1: Oh, no, that doesn't come as a surprise to me at all. That was another one that's uh, up there with uh, my disappointment. So a
0: song from Celeste popped up on my Discover Weekly on Spotify. And it made me feel very bad for have not played that game. That game seems to have a really good soundtrack. And to really get everything else is that a game that you would play on the switch or do you think that that's like a little i think that too, would
1: be an actually good switch game
0: i worry that it maybe is a little bit too twitchy
1: um i feel like this yeah maybe uh the switch is pretty good for some of that kind of stuff though as long as it's ported that's well true because you're gonna if you play it on uh on pc you're gonna play it with a controller anyway so
0: yeah for sure and you know another game that i'm always thinking about playing like always in the back of my mind is like just some of those switch games man I, I've got Oxenfree on Switch. Um, I've got Thimbleweed Park on Switch, which I played through like 75% of. Uh, the Switch is one of those platforms where it's like, I'll buy up a ton of games because they're, hey, they're on the Switch. It's portable. I'll find time. But now I have too many. And there's just no way to get through them all.
1: Yeah. The Switch is especially the platform of shame. It's like the new Steam where I just look at it and like all the games that I bought and haven't gone as far in as I should. And uh, Hollow Knight, you can add to that list, I guess.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, next month, uh, Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate comes out on the Switch. And I can't not get it because it's the biggest Monster Hunter game ever. And then Monster Hunter Worlds comes out on PC And I don't know if I can't not get it.
1: I just Um, don't know. I kind of want the PC version.
0: I think I might wait to get the PC version. Does the PC version come out? I wonder if it comes out
1: with all the additions.
0: I think it does. I I don't know for sure, but I have a good feeling it does. And I also think that uh, there will be more to come. And at some point, they're going to release... An expansion, and that might be when I have to get the um the PC version. But at the same time, you know, I got a I have a pro, like I have a PS4 Pro. Do I need Monster Hunter on PC if I have a pro? And the answer is yes, right? I mean, it's yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's actually all the video games I've got because I actually spent most of my week building IKEA furniture. Yeah. Uh, today I did one of the um. One of the things that I'm most proud of, I I um fixed my Calax to the wall. I installed the I assume the the Calax is
1: the uh, Swedish name for whatever you're talking about.
0: So if you don't know what a Calax is, then I don't think you're actually a board game enthusiast. Wow. Bigoted. Continue. That that's just the way it is, because the Calax is the de facto shelf for people who have board game collections. As soon as you'll see it, you know what it is. It is the um, square shelving units at Ikea, where they're, it's sort of like modular boxes where they come in like, you know, like two by four boxes, four by four boxes. I got the uh, massive five by five Calax shelf.
1: Wow, I can't wait to see.
0: I, I actually think, Our apartment is getting to a very smart and very clever layout uh, that I'm really excited to share with everybody uh, for your birthday, ker-birthday 2018. Possibly, Uh,
1: but I was also thinking about going to Priya's, but also now that I looked at this mat, this game mat for Twilight Imperium that I got today, I don't know if any of the tables that I know in my life are going to be able to handle this bad boy.
0: Yeah, I if I if we do go to Priya's, I might not be able to stay very late. Definitely not for a game of Toilet Imperium. Well the, well, the
1: cool so. thing about Priya's is she's on the Gibson, like on the. Well, this is a little bit too. Uh, Just say baseball. she's
0: close to an LARR station.
1: Uh, aggressively close.
0: However, that's still three trains for me, most likely.
1: Okay. Well, I'll we'll see. To the-, the, the other The other alternative was going to be, like, going to your house because Sean will be there. I just wanted to have some drinking involved, and uh, I thought that would be a little difficult for... Like, I wanted Sean to be able to loosen up and stuff like that because it's going to be, like... Uh, I've been, you know, I, I, we, I have been dress rehearsing some of the games that that uh might make appearances, and I'm kind of now set on at least one factor, and that is that I want to start out with with Twilight Imperium, the big bad boy of game of board games, and I want to. Uh, I've already I've listened to a lot of prep on this. I have. Uh, I have uh, today I spent uh, the last hour before we started um, putting uh, all the races tokens into separate bags and putting all the uh, according to the designers, the simplest races into bags and sorting them together and getting everything ready for that uh, so that we would be able to quickly get into this and not, you know, go through, like, all this punching out, because there's a lot in that in that box. This is a well, sure. beastly, a beastly box by any terms. This is a box that is almost on par with Kingdom Death for its pure heft and its weight. And um, uh, so I wanted to, what uh, now I, I have uh, decided is that I want to begin twilight imperium maybe do something like instead of going first to 10 first to five or or even lower and just say like you know what we'll do that well i want to do almost what we did with food chain magnate which is which is like we can go a little bit into this and we'll feel it out and if people aren't really feeling it then we can go to something different. I'll have, you know, I, I, I'm excited to see what site looks like with resolutions module. That's a whole nother thing we're about to talk about, I'm sure, in in, in uh, soon. Um, sure. I would love to play more Food Chain Magnate. I think that is uh, an absolute darling. That is like a... I think about
0: that all the time. Yeah. I, I've actually, part of me has been thinking about like... Um, so first off, I've actually been getting more into the board game situation so much so that I'm listening to uh, board game podcasts and my favorite one. And the one that I think that you should check out is so very wrong about games and every week what they do is they feature one game and then they talk about something like on the side of board games. So there's an episode on food chain Magnate and game storage. There's an episode on kingdom death. And randomness, an episode on Spirit wow, Island and rule books. So really cool format. And one of the things that they mentioned about Food Chain Magnate was the idea of like opening plays. So one of the things that I was thinking about looking into was I know two very standard opening plays of recruiting girls and trainer into guru. So I've been wondering, like, what are the other popular opening plays? And if I learn them, I think that what I would do is I would want to present them to people that I'm teaching the game to. Okay,
1: that's that would be cool. Because I was going to say for uh, TI, remain dumb, please. I I am going over rules and not I'm not looking up any high-level strategy. Not that I really could comprehend some of that at the moment without kind of physically seeing the way the game works but uh uh i i I don't want i if we were going to play that and that was going to be enjoyable i i think it would have to be tight i think it would have to be like pretty even throughout because if you if if someone started getting too good or too aggressive well you know what that's what politics exists for so yeah maybe i'll just come in
0: there like a munchkin and just start being a munchkin
1: yeah um Uh So so, So
0: is is friend of the show Galloway coming?
1: Oh, uh, speak of the devil. uh, A minute or two ago, uh, Galloway has been blowing up my phone with how excited he is. He is confirmed on the date uh, Uh, to have off. Does
0: he text you? Because I have actually been trying to reach him for one month.
1: He is... Impossible to reach typically, but he just started hitting me with a litany of tweets uh, of textos that's sorry, not tweets um, about how excited he is for Twilight Imperium. And he also said that, uh, that he that is Sean coming, and I said yes. And he says, don't let him smoke the good herb. And I think that's Why fair. Is that?
0: All right, well, you know, because if you're gonna, I don't doing, know Sean well enough to know, because but if, you're to, you. if you're
1: going to, if you're gonna talk galactic politics for eight hours, you better be. You better be have your wits about you, but you, you know be I, on I. I know that I will be probably drinking the great liquid and uh, uh, c- caffeinating myself with the great bean. Um, that's
0: but- that's what I roll with with board games. But I will say that some games, uh, some light drinking is a good idea, especially if you're playing a game that has a lot of player interaction. Because I think that that's after what I think a about TI. Of drinks, you're you're more open, uh, you're more open to being a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more combative. Not not combative. That's not the right word. Uh, we certainly do not endorse being combative while you're drunk. But maybe in board games, it's okay.
1: Yeah. Um... So before we get into these board games, I just want to say that I'm really excited about Ti. Like I said, I was I've been prepping it. I, I put everything into individual bags. Uh, I have it set up right now so that the uh, the game itself recommends the uh, designers, Fantasy Flight recommend six starting races that have some of the most simple to learn um, uh, introduction uh, kind of. Uh, stuff. Introduction. I I guess whole tableau because it's everything from like their passives to their technology and stuff like that. Tableau is
0: my favorite board game word.
1: Um, I think it. it, I think I used it correctly right now. Um, but uh, yeah, it's the best one. But um, friend of the show Galloway kind of might want to branch off, and I think that. I would allow it. So if there was something that someone felt really strongly, I I, I, I gotta say, I'm, I'm gravitating towards this one race in TI that I know I can't win with on the first time. There is a race of ghosts, of of basically like sentient auras that have affixed themselves to physical objects. And the crazy thing about them is that their home system, normally home systems are placed on the board. These ghosts exist off the board. Is that insane? Fancy. Does that make any sense? That's insane. So, and they also, so, so, uh, their other thing, and I, I don't even think this is too inside baseball because I don't even understand this game, but, uh, there is, uh, a, A and B wormhole and the A's and the A's go to the A's and the B's go to the B's, obviously not very complicated, but the ghosts of Cruz can go between any wormhole, uh, without any, there being any laws, so they're very like wormhole-oriented, like teleporting race. I think that's very interesting. I don't, I don't know if that this is a good idea. The thing I'm talking about right now, um, I do think that people that we probably should play uh, with the starting six. Technically, you are supposed to get them randomly, uh, as the, the the game recommends that you get them randomly. Um, and that's the
0: way that it should always be with variable powers.
1: Yeah, um, I don't know if that is true, for. Oh, advanced players though i think advanced players do pick and have a draft but um for babby players like ourselves uh the game recommends that i shuffle uh these i think they they want you to shuffle the home systems and have everyone draw home systems basically and then you just play whoever uh you got their home system of um so we might do it like that. I am i don't know. There's some... Even even among the starting six, there's obviously some very interesting uh, races that I think people might hear about and instantly fall in love with. And if that's the case, I kind of don't want it Because it's like you're married to this race. If it, if it were anything... If it's Scythe, I'm going to say, do it the right way. Uh, I'm going to shuffle the things and we're going to give you everything randomly. But if it's... And
0: then we're going to play mus- musical chairs because yeah. where you... Where you sit determines sort of where which guy you can start with.
1: Absolutely, but um, I feel like with TI, it's a little bit more like you're married to this race. So if there's something that someone is just jiving with, then I get it. I get. I can totally understand it. Um, but how?
0: But if we're all staying in the dark, then how does anybody know who they jive with?
1: Because um, I would explain the races. They have. The, the the starting races have some pretty simple things like you just say oh these are the politics guys they like to do this or these are the technology guys they basically just do technology and that's kind of it um i, I like this race that trades very well uh because of the trading mechanic in ti uh is uh probably just in in theory one of the coolest board game mechanics of all time uh I, and i i think a lot of people back me up on this uh the, the uh every race produces a generic commodity that is worth is useless to them, but when traded, it becomes extremely powerful and extremely like like expensive basically. So uh, the Hakan are the lions on the front of the box and they are really good at trading and they can trade w- without having borders set up and they get double of trades. And one of the things that I think is exciting is that Galloway's already kind of planning this, so so as much as I'm talking about, you know, don't get, don't, don't get prepared too much because we've all got to be dumb, um, Galloway's talking about how he thinks Hakan are strong for a first play session because Hakan are friendly. They... Make everyone trade, and they they give you lots of nice goods, and isn't that awesome? And don't you want to trade with them? And all the the meanwhile, they they get better on all the trades. They actually get double the resources back. So then they are friendly, and they're like, "Hey, let's trade, let's trade, let's trade." Where do we don't have borders? Let's trade. I, I'm having a great time. Are you having a great time? And that I, I think because when you take our, uh, it's interesting because when we do get into site talk, like I. I as as board gamers, we uh, and I think a lot of people are like this. Like we don't want to go aggro because that first aggro, like uh, it, it's it's a bad opinion. To, it's a bad uh, philosophy to have in board games. I see that now. That is like when someone draws that first blood, you try and draw back. Like I think this is Tw- Twilight Imperium is the kind of game where you're going for so long and you're gonna be, and I think people are gonna be really afraid to to overstep a boundary and I think there's gonna be a lot of friendly stuff going on so the character the races that are a little bit more aggressive that want to fight a little bit more might have issues in our first game because I think How a lot boring. of people are I could imagine a lot of people like hey you know like like no one's fighting no one's fighting then that that aggressive race takes that first step and they cross a boundary they cross that line and they say Oh, we're gonna fight and then all of a sudden people are like whoa whoa what are you doing like you killed him and you took all that guy was spending a lot of time working on that. I don't trust this guy. Okay. We got to, you know, we all got to take out this person. Like no one can really trust this person or trade with this person. And uh, I think that it's interesting because like Hakan, this, uh, this trading group uh, of, of like merchants kind of is set up to like win based off the psychology of our regular gamers, you know, like, The idea of this group that is like hey let's you know trade and keep trading and like everyone's you know getting resources but i'm getting just a little bit more than you uh when we trade is going to be too friendly Mm. and people aren't going to want to cross them you know
0: but what if you told me how you feel about scythe which is a game that we've actually played
1: i almost want to hear what you think
0: first scythe I don't Cause, know cause, how I feel. Because about, so. because
1: I felt like you were wiffly waffly and I under I understand. I'm not gonna crucify you for it. But, so but just re- just remember two th- a couple things going into Scythe before you explain it. Scythe is the seventh right now on BGG for whatever it's, wh- whatever it's worth. I don't think it's worth that much, and it is considered by a lot of top industry people and a lot of top industry pundits and you know YouTube stars and everything as a game that gets better and better with each playthrough. And a lot of people say that they don't like their initial playthrough of Scythe. Um, that it is not enjoyable for the first couple times, but as you play with people who know things or are smart about Scythe, that there develops a smarter in-game meta, and that way people are able to kind of check themselves inside the rules of Scythe. Um, But we didn't have that, obviously, because we were kind of new coming to it. So with that said...
0: So Scythe is a worker... Well, I guess if you know about board games, you probably know what Scythe is, but if you don't, Scythe is a game about both fighting and farming, a game where you're building up resources and trying to uh, essentially complete objectives and gain wealth, while also controlling an area to keep your resources secure and uh, engaging in combat with other players.
1: By the way, Jamie Stegmeier talks about how he named it Scythe because a, a, a Scythe is both a tool of war and a tool of farming.
0: And that makes... It makes a lot of sense, but uh, Scythe is really cool and it, it is sort of my jam because of the fact that it has uh, a lot of variety in the ways that you play it where every time that you play it, uh, it's sort of like uh, a League of Legends or a Dota where you have the one game board, but depending on the characters that you're bringing into it
1: yeah, I'd, uh, and sort of the,
0: the variants, maybe you're playing a... Ultra uh, rapid fire. I'm uh, so sorry sort of to interrupt you. Just, I'm enough.
1: I'm so excited about this new scythe expansion coming, and uh, the next scythe expansion will in fact feature modular game boards. But continue.
0: So, so that is essentially the way that I see scythe, where you have all of these different uh, ways to play it or to change it up, but that you always have that one thing that's consistent every time that you go back to it, uh, which is the game board.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, so
0: one thing that is complicated about it, though, is that uh, when you're starting out, you're given a character and you're also given a track. And the track determines the way in which you upgrade things. And I don't know if this is true, but it seems like there could be some combinations that are better than others, right? I mean, There is a,
1: a combination way. that is outlawed. Wow. Um, That is from the errata, from the wind gambit, and from, I believe, the errata on the Invaders from Afar, which are both the two expansions that currently exist for Scythe, Uh, they have in the end of their rulebook an extra errata section that says uh, that specifically the Roosviat and the industrial board should never be comboed, and that... Uh, it, it, th- th- these are more like house rules. It's like, if you think this is true, if you guys have issues with balance, these are the things that we see could possibly be an issue in the future. It's both the Roosevelt and the industrial game board should never be comboed and that the Roosevelt should not be allowed to use their uh, factions passive, which is a little bit inside baseball, that they can redo the exact same action over again and they should not be allowed to do that on the factory.
0: That makes sense.
1: Yeah. So um, we did not have that scenario. But uh, but, but yeah, I it says, feel like
0: the game, it, it is very hard to actually get involved with other players if they don't want you to. Yeah. I, I feel um, like it's, it, it, and this is sort of like, um, this is a thing that happens in, in I think, all great board games, uh, great board games that I consider to be things like Food Chain Magnate and Argent the Consortium and Scythe where everything, and also happens in chess, uh, but everything happens over multiple turns where someone moves their rook next to your your queen and you know what the rook is capable of and you have time to adjust. And similarly, this is a similar thing with like getting someone into check where y'all move your rook into the second row. And if their king is in the first row, then the king can't move upwards anymore. So it's inevitable that they might then move their second rook or their queen into the first row where they're gonna checkmate you, but you see it happen over multiple turns. And similarly with games like Food Chain Magnate and Argent the Consortium, things get lined up before they happen. Someone has to buy a marketing trainee and train them up before they can start putting out mailbox campaigns and uh, airplane campaigns and radio campaigns. Uh, and it, similarly in Scythe, someone has to move in a in an adjacent uh, hex to you, and then their movement is cut off on their next turn because you can't uh, replicate the same move that you did twice. So you actually have well, if
1: the, factory. the time.
0: Yeah, but, but you have the time to react, in most circumstances, to what the opponent is going to do. That's I true. Think that I, th- that's, that's I the think there was also
1: design. a big issue with the way that, uh, in our second game, we encountered a scenario where James was playing one of the expansion races, and they're uh, you know set up to be a little bit more warlike. But their big issue is that the two expansion races and, again, inside baseball, is that all the other races have an ability at one point in the game you can unlock uh, moving a little bit faster, moving two spaces instead of the traditional one. Um, and the expansion races both don't have access to that. And instead, they're a little bit more about going to areas and setting up a territory control, which meant that, that that's that's fine in a longer game or with more and in a people
0: game with more players in, in
1: and yeah, a shorter game with more players but in a short game with three players where one player is aggressively rushing uh a fast victory rather than setting up f- uh, a better engine um it's really ineffective because you just don't have the means to chase someone down you you, you just don't have a good movement and your movement is more based off of going to territories, creating war points. You just don't points. have it yet. Yeah, you just don't have it yet. Um, uh, I, I thought a lot of stuff about Scythe. And I, I, you know what? I, I, I think I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with the single thing that you've you've said so far. Um, I think that... That's because I'm right. Yeah, it's because you're right. I don't disagree with that. I think we do have a lot of opinions that are... I don't know if we've ever differed on a board game opinion.
0: We'll we'll get there.
1: It's pretty insane to think about if you think about it. But, um, uh, Scythe, just from everything I've heard about, uh, I think Tom Vassell, who I do respect a little bit from Dice Tower, just uh, a little, just a little bit, um, uh, uh, was talking about how when Scythe came out, it had all these issues, and the uh, he talked about how resolutions were a big big addition to the game overall, and he said that with resolutions and with, you know, Invaders from Afar and with, you know, Wind Gambit and everything, that he says that, it's the game where it was outside of his top one hundred, but it's been but it encroached on his top one hundred, and now he kind of keeps playing it over again, and it's more satisfying with each playthrough, and it's kind of slowly rising up the ranks. and I, And I, I I hear that from a lot of people is like if you go back and read reviews of Scythe when it was first, uh, it was a Kickstarter actually, but um, when it was first shipped, um, I think a lot of reviews are like, this is a cool game. It it is a uh, Got spectacular art and production quality, but uh, it's not. Don't believe the hype. It's not gonna blow your mind, but it's kind of cool. And then when you watch over time, the opinions kind of change. And with the invaders from afar, and with Wind Gambit and resolutions, particularly in Ring Gambit, in Wind Gambit, which uh, simply resolutions change the um, the end game state. They change like the, what will the uh typically in Scythe there's only one thing that ends the game and uh they it, resolutions are all these modular things that change how the game would end. Um that a lot of people over time have said that Scythe is like really good and that they really like it and Scythe like I said whether or not it means anything seventh game on BoardGameGeek uh of all time. I think it does. Uh, I but
0: I'm also sort of a big believer in uh uh crowdsourced reviews.
1: So, so I think I, I think what I feel like is that uh, I'm happy to have played it then because I enjoyed it, but I felt like there were issues and some of the and the biggest issue I felt like was that the games ended uh, prematurely. They ended very abruptly. Yeah, as, and
0: before like you actually get the chance to really get something cool going. Right? Yeah,
1: I I think that's really worrisome because I I feel like. Uh, We played with friend of the show, John, and he especially like he he was doing things and this isn't to say that he was playing badly. It's just that he was playing an engine building game. And I think that's fair. Like he was playing for the long run and developing stuff and building up and doing all this stuff kind of. Uh, like, isolationist, kind of, where he's really trying to, like, develop a long-term strategy that's going to reward him. But as he's doing that, uh, we played two games, and the first game you kind of ran away with, so so much so that we didn't even count up the points at the end. And the second game I kind of ran away with, again, so much so that we didn't really count up the points. And it's it was, it was supremely disappointing because I feel like I was enjoying it while I was lasting, but then it just came to, like, this screeching halt that was, like... So upsetting for not only the winner, which was me in the second game, but I think especially so for everyone else where it's like, really? That's it? Like, I'm doing all this stuff. I don't want to clear the board. Like, I've been working on this, like, engine, and and the engine's just over. Because those games can end qu- quick, so I'm um, um, now that I know that I'm, I'm more interested in the resolutioning kind of thing, stuff like Doomsday yeah. Clock, which which uh, makes the game last over a set amount of turns, which would have been longer than both of our games, and with the fact that the, the turns would have been numbered, we would have had a more of a cohesive sense of like when this actually was going to end, and it would have allowed people to fully develop strategies and maybe get into sure. more fights.
0: You know, one of the things that I've also been thinking about, and and this is something that um, that that there was a thread about on Board Game Geek today. Uh, no, not no, actually on the board game on the board subreddit, game subreddit, which is games that climax at the end. Uh, uh, it, it's something that I've been thinking about because I think that there are absolutely some games that do, uh, some of which are Millennium Blades and definitely a hundred percent Clank, in my opinion.
1: Clank, but yeah, Clank does. Um... Uh, that wasn't that. That is so interesting that you talk about that because that is a big deal with board games, isn't it? And it's, I, I think that's a secret failing of the medium because you just kind of, uh, I I don't want to see things where you just kind of get to the end. And I know that's a problem with Ti. I know that going into it is that you just get to a thing where someone hits the certain amount of points and it just kind of ends in a lot of games, and that's that's it. Like in in Scythe, the person puts down the final. Uh, objective star, but uh, you're supposed to have had a close enough game that you actually do have to count up all this stuff that was going up. But,
0: but I don't know that the counting up your points is, is like, exciting. In in Food Chain Magnate, the way that the game should end is someone has a turn where they just pick up a pile of money and the game just ends out of nowhere. Like, that's, that's the that's best That's so
1: scary, of but it's a little bit... I, you know what? i feel like the game one of the games that i've played that has the best ending has got to be argent the consortium
0: argent the consortium does have a really cool it has a -a bangaroo for the ending uh so we played argent the consortium after playing scythe two uh very different worker placement games
1: if you can call scythe worker placement sure
0: well, you could definitely call Argent the Consortium worker placement. Argent the Consortium uh, is,
1: is, by the numbers, worker placement.
0: 100% worker placement, uh, where essentially it, it's not Harry Potter, the game, but it's as close as you can get to sort of having that theme or aesthetic where you are playing as a mage of a particular school of magic between, like, mysticism, divination, sorcery, uh, natural... And you're competing to become what is essentially the next Dumbledore. And in order to do that, you're going to place workers, get resources, uh, collect and learn spells, and try to gain the favor of the consortium voters who are mostly hidden. So this yeah. is a game that we've talked about before, where the way that you win is you have the most people vote for you to win. but you, So you don't know what all of the win conditions are, because some of the voters might have have the most mana or have the most wealth. But if you're collecting all of this gold, there might not actually be an Argent voter that wants you to have the most gold. So part of the game is also the information gathering and also trying to see what other players are doing to understand all right, so based on the things that they're collecting, based on the way that they're playing, do they know something about the voters that I don't? Uh, so Argent, also similar to Scythe, is a game that I, I, I think gets better every time you play it and with more experienced players. And that's, that's one of the cool things also about board games, but also one of the challenges is like, you know, video games get cooler the more you play them. Like the more you play Overwatch, the more you start to learn some of the meta. And that's really cool. Uh, and guess what? It takes like 20 minutes to play a match of Overwatch. But to take a board game, and, and you know, that could be a 30, 30 minutes, which is a, a short one, but more well, that's often... that's really short game.
1: I don't know what games you're talking and half
0: about. Hour to two hours Splinter play through. maybe. so 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 that's one of the challenges of board games is like, okay, you have to physically get people together. And that's a challenge. Like... Like once you reach your mid twenties, it's very hard. That's what I was thinking. It's like everyone's working.
1: There. That's why. That's why the Ti thing is so exciting. Is because this is really not a. There's not a chance that we can do this again.
0: Uh, and then after people are together, it's like the amount of time that it takes. And then you know, you could play that again the next time, or you could play another game. And it's like I, I mean I, I I've said this before, but I'm at a point with my board game collection where i i'd rather have fewer games and i'm actually looking to get rid of some of my games and just play the ones that i have more
1: well i think we're 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 starting to develop a better uh library of stuff that we like in each genre and that we can fulfill because before i had scythe i felt like i kept wanting a, a sort of a game where you would sp- take a start and then spread across the map and have sort of an economy and now i have it and i'm not necessarily that interested and likewise like when i look at a lot of the Kickstarter is coming out i in the beginning when i first started kickstarting board games because that's really the kind of the only way to get them it, I, I would kickstart kind of like a lot of stuff that's and i had bullshit by the way what
0: I it hate is bull- that. it
1: is hugely bullshit it is insanely bullshit um, it's it's weird that we that, uh, that is a whole oh man, I, I actually that that leads me to a whole another thing that I kind of wanted to talk about this week. Uh, but um uh uh yeah, in the beginning I started kickstarting stuff where i I, I just kind of felt like you know, uh, is there a chance I might want it? Yes, okay, I'll get it, but now I'm kind of developing more of a library that I'm becoming a little bit more discerning, uh, and particularly in, like, there's a lot of different genres of games where I just don't need anything anymore. Like, games where they're more, uh, like, narrative or long-term campaigns, I don't really need one. I got I got uh, Kingdom Death Monster, and I I love that game so much. So, I, so stuff like Cthulhu Death May Die, like, I dropped my pledge on that, um, and... Uh, it just doesn't appeal to should've. me as much because I, I, I have that now. So I'm happy to be building it up a little bit and to have uh, some of the things that I do really want. Uh, some of the genres that I really want covered.
0: Yeah. And, and there are still Kickstarter games that I'm looking forward to and that I'm glad to have backed. Like uh, I'm really glad that you backed Villagers. That game looks amazing.
1: Oh, you didn't back Villagers?
0: Uh, no, because you backed Villagers. I'll play okay. your copy of Villagers. I backed Imperial.
1: I did back Imperial as well.
0: uh, I backed uh, Enchanters.
1: I backed Enchanters as well. Fun fact, I was the person who got the Imperial solo edition unlocked.
0: I know, you've you've mentioned this a few times on the podcast.
1: I did, in fact, uh, get that solo unlock stretch goal by myself. It's true.
0: It's true. (laughs) <laughs> uh and uh, black rose wars another game that i'm looking forward to in what i actually black rose wars another well, game that i'm looking Bla- forward black to. black rose
1: wars remains to this point the hands-down game that i want the most for the modularity of it the deck building the aggression there's a lot of stuff that i am yeah, very excited i actually about.
0: dropped my pledge on arena because i felt like uh Black Rose Wars was doing the work. I, I, I understand
1: that. I'm, I'm actually, Arena is another one of those games that like, of the games that I'm probably most excited to get in the future, it probably is Black Rose Wars, and below that is probably Arena. I'm surprised
0: uh, it's not Villagers. Villagers looks so cool.
1: Villagers, Villagers looks really cool, and I think the thing that I like a lot about Villagers and that makes me excited to have back that is that it seems like it's a, uh, it's it's kind of like Splendor, where it's something that would take a, it's 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 the beautiful game it, it, it has a chance to be the beautiful game i'm sorry i haven't played it but um it has a chance to be the beautiful game and that it's something that takes moments to explain and you explain it and that you play that first game and it's what 10 30 minutes at tops and at the end of it the person the people who are playing say don't put it away we gotta play again i understand how to play it now and that's and then every time you play it you get into you develop your own little personal meta and I think that uh, uh, Villagers looks really exciting. It's uh, by a small developer. It's by a husband and wife. They are expecting a baby. I think that's adorable. And they even have a little thing that they keep uh, kick- Kickstarter blasting out to people that shows their uh, timeline for stuff that they have to do. And one of the things is have the baby. Aw. The Ooh. wife is pregnant. Um, and, uh,
0: you know, Founders of Glimhaven comes out soon. Is that something you're interested in?
1: Uh, yeah. I, I, I uh. Talked to Isaac Childress on uh, Reddit. Ooh. I said that About he wasn't what? very good at writing narratives. And <laughs> he kind of seemed to have taken it personally. But How was, did that go? Uh, I I My main thing was to say that, listen, and I, I said it right up front, I think Gloomhaven is a... Achievement. It, it is amazing. Um, my biggest problem with Gloonhaven is just that, and I think a lot of people would agree with me, is that just the narrative is kind of not there. And uh, it's more about the fighting. It's more about just the uh, almost RPG style fighting. And I said that. And I said that, like, there's all these missed points in the narrative that the road cards are too basic and they're kind of black and white and all this stuff. And he's like, that's not fair if you're, if you're, um, watching some of the kind of solo stuff I'm writing for the solo uh, community campaigns uh, I, I think I'm getting much better at it and I think in Forgotten Circles I've gotten much better at it uh, so I'll take his word for it he's, also, he's a genius also, I'm, I not, I'm that, not smart I,
0: I, and also I think that you know it can be hard to receive this that kind of criticism when like this is your job and, and you're hearing it from someone whose job it might not be I mean, this is sort of the arena net situation, not not verbatim, and not you know. I, I, I think I I think I preface comparison. this
1: with like I I wasn't like your your story written sucks like,
0: except it, you kind of were right. No, no I'm I no uh,
1: I, I I was kind of <laughs> like this. Their, your whole thing is amazing. It just sometimes your narrative falls a little flat.
0: But, and- but I think one of the issues is that like it's it's not just writing a narrative. It's writing a narrative in service of gameplay mechanics yeah and that i can't begin to understand how challenging it is
1: i, I listen I, I don't say i don't think that, that uh, also isaac children's dude is a if, if let, let me let me tell you if you're if you're a, if you're a viewer right now if you if you're one of our We
0: don't call them viewers. If,
1: if if you know anything about this, if you don't know anything about this, let me let me listen up because if you don't know the name Isaac Childress, he is a fucking rock star right now. He's a rock star. Number one on BGG for how long? No, and you can't for
0: being like a one you can't, you can't like stand one it. dude. He yeah. when you look at Gloomhaven, there is a up.
1: name on that box. That name is Isaac Childress.
0: I'm assuming that he had to, like, have people, though, right? Like,
1: um, there's he, other people involved, but it's largely someone had to children. do the art, right? When you, I think that, I think that is some of the more exciting things when you get into real. Uh, 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 board game culture stuff because oh, Christ, we we are gross with it now. But um, there, uh, uh, I think board games are are interesting almost in the way that books are because you really get to step into the mind of someone in an interesting way that you don't with a lot of other mediums. With uh, a lot of video games, sometimes you have that auteur, and you have the Kojima, right, who gets to get insane, and you get to play a Kojima you have game, the and
0: the Toby Fox,
1: you have the Toby Fox, and you get to say like, yeah, Toby Fox, that's a fantastic example right there because Toby Fox undertakes. He did all the he did basically everything. He coded it. He did the um the the uh unbelievable soundtrack. If you haven't listened to the Undertale soundtrack, it is uh something that I listen to every time I go to the gym, that is a fact. Um uh, I think there's something cool about an our Tour, and I think that with board games, one of the craziest things is that that is so prevalent in board game culture. that the board games are largely the product uh they are the the birth child of of a lot of times just a name or two and it's kind of crazy looking back at it and you kind of get to the point where that name alone is going to sell you on something you know like i i I, i'm very excited because do you know anything about the betrayal legacy
0: i do not but i I, I bet you're going to tell me.
1: Okay, so uh, uh, Rob Davio, uh, i said that name wrong for sure. Uh, he was the inventor of the legacy. He was the main name that really worked on Risk Legacy. Uh, he would, after that, go on to uh, famously hook up with Matt Laycock, who is the designer of Pandemic, and then together they worked on Pandemic Legacy, uh, and that game is something special that game is pretty outstanding so uh Rob Dav- Rob Davio Rob Davvo um is uh uh 2 years ago he he's a, he actually works for Hasbro which maybe wouldn't surprise you that much if i t- told you that he was the designer the core designer who worked on Risk Legacy but anyway um he they, they said that uh, he 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 did this big hour-long presentation at DiceCon, um, uh, but uh, he uh, was talking about how Hasbro kind of dropped on his table two years ago. Do you want to do Betrayal? And he said, that doesn't make any sense because I could probably make a bunch of games in that time, but I will do it because that sounds fun. So he ended up doing a Betrayal Legacy game. And that is slated to hit uh, sometime, I, I believe, approximately December. And very slated to
0: hit where Kickstarter?
1: No, shelves. Cool, cool. Um, you know, it's, it's it's printing right now. It's printing at this very moment. He he said that. Yeah. He said that it just had begun print. Um, just real quick, what I really like about it betrayal um i don't i have never played betrayal but i know a lot of people who like it but what is what is i would maybe like to but what is more exciting about it i think is that it is a legacy game and i love legacy games i absolutely love them but the game starts out with a house that is not haunted and over the course of your playing you get to experience the haunting and everything is a setup so so the the individual haunts and what has gone wrong in the house is what has gone wrong for you people who have died are the ones who are going to be haunting the house in the future and uh, that there's all this other stuff of like you find a shotgun and normally the shotgun would just get discarded and you know thrown out for the rest of the game or this is just I'm just using an example of the shotgun because um, he also uses example but um, you can make it the family heirloom and then you put it over that you know you put it over the proverbial uh fireplace and then you play that next game and you get the shotgun because that's the family heirloom and it's always in the living room is always where the shotgun is and you set up this kind of you over the course of the games set up the whole you go from a house that has no lore or nothing in it to murders and all the stuff and now there's haunts and uh, kind of the entire uh, arc of the story is all your fault and uh, and there's all these things that go into game by game uh, the different like families and stuff involved it sounds fantastic sounds phenomenal uh, but that's Rab Davio Rob. that's really exciting um, yeah uh, I don't know what I, I was talking about. Isaac Childress and different game designers. I certainly like. I, I this is this is still basically off topic, but uh, off topic. But I really find myself always gravitating gravitating to a J, uh, Jamie Stegmeier. That's a that's a name that I. probably... for me, it's,
0: it's level ninety nine. Give me some of their
1: stuff. They have a they have a style.
0: They do, and they also just make games with lots of stuff in them. Which maybe I don't know is that is that a good thing? I, I think it's a good thing, but at the same time, like, I got a I got a lot of games to play. Can we talk but,
1: a little bit more about Argent the Consortium because that I, kind of reminds me. Of... Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, what did you think? Of argent the consortium
1: so, so you reminded me of the first way that I felt and with argent the consortium which I think is a fantastic game overall that's just I, I just don't I definitely want to say it up front because I'm gonna have some complaints that I think would be remedied as I explain them um I think a lot of level 99 games I I, I was kind of surprised to see the uh to look back at the past of level 99s Kickstarters and stuff like that because they don't really blow the roof off, do they? You know, like they, uh, you know, with with Imperial, they're uh, pretty
0: niche, right?
1: With Imperial, you know, you have a, you have this legendary. Uh, they're not new. This this great designers, the, uh, this great company behind it, um, and you look at all these other games and like we're like you and I got in on this renaissance where there's a lot of games that are really doing great and they they do gangbusters and they do over a million dollars and you know if if cool mini or not does a game on kickstarter it's it's going to make 2 million dollars that's just kind of the basic you know premise of it but um it's kind of surprising to see that level 99 is still Manages to be such a weirdly niche thing in board game culture, and I think that there's a lot of like interesting, weird, uh, so, like almost do you, like. Do
0: you think that because because like to like Level Ninety Nine, you have to like board games and anime?
1: I don't think that's it,
0: but it's close.
1: Um, I think that I could see how the style could be off-putting to some people. I kind I like it. I dig if it. If you're a
0: goon, sure.
1: Um. I think the, uh, the first thing that I think when I think of the level 99 games that I've played, Millennium Blades and Argent the Consortium um, up front, uh, is that those games probably, I think a lot of board games look pretty impenetrable and unfun from when you first sit down and you look at that. And uh, I think like Scythe is a good example of something where I feel like when you look at that first game board, it's just like, there is no way you can explain this thing to me. But as you take like one or two turns, you just it, it all starts to click. And what I feel like with all the level 99 games is that it's almost not true. And I think that they are kind of some of the heaviest games. And I, I think that because they usually have tons of interlocking mechanics that kind of jump out at the bat you know what I mean? Like, like, sure. like, like, with a lot of other board games, with, with something like Scythe, it, it kind of like, it, it kind of secretly locks you off of tons of mechanics for the first couple rounds. For example, um, you don't really need to explain to someone the uh, combat mechanics because they're not going to encounter that until a couple rounds in or, or maybe further or maybe never. And uh, uh, you don't really need to explain a lot of core mechanics. Like, you don't really need to explain how the factory works that much, just that they want to go to it, and all these other kind of things where you don't really need to explain it that much because they're currently not engaging with it and that the board game itself slowly opens up. And I feel like one thing with level 99 is that of, of with Millennium Blades and with Arjun the Consortium is that as a new player, you are expected to know every interlocking mechanic at almost the same time because they're all kind of like jumping out at once. Like all the resources and all the mechanics are kind of active from almost turn one. So it's like they're they're both both of those games feel like some of the most aggressive to get jumped into because when you look at Arch in the Consortium, I gotta say one of my biggest complaints, and it it has to be this way, which is a the answer to a lot of the complaints I have, is that uh when you look at that player board do you know what I mean when, you, when I say that you look at that player board and you look at all those resources and the icons for them and you say, what the fuck is going on?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it is sort of like a similar thing to Scythe where there's tons of symbols. And as soon as you understand the symbols, you understand them. But at the start of the game, it's a lot. I think
1: it's worse with Arjun the Consortium because you have stuff like... How dare you? You have the book icon, you have the scroll icon. The book icon is for learning spells, uh, their first level. The scroll icon is for learning the other spells. Then there's like... Leveling them up. There, then there's the mana, which is for spending the spells. Then there's Nothing. like... Yeah. There's 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 like all these core... That's it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. There, there's there's Well, then there's money.
0: You know what money does. I feel like you know what mana does, too. If I say, here's mana, you use it to cast spells.
1: Um, That's
0: that's fairly understandable. I I think the hard part is actually um, understanding where and why you should place mages where you place them and why the different mages should be placed in different spots.
1: um, Yeah, so... Another little gripe that also has to be this way, Uh, kind of hard to read the board when you first look at it because of the way that the mages are a color and the characters are a color, so their bases get put on the mages, but the mages have a color, which some of the characters, like, I was the black player, so I had black bases, but there were also a lot of black mages, so sometimes it got a little confusing when you're looking around the board and it's like, oh, there's a black mage over there, that's me. Nope, that's Mason. Uh, there's the pink base um, Really quick thing that has to be that way uh, I felt like it, I felt like it's a fantastic game And we played a really bad game of it
0: I think you're right I think we um, did play a pretty bad game So of it.
1: a couple things happened that, uh, that ruined the experience But I know enough to say that They didn't ruin the experience That's a harsh word But um, a couple things happened to dampen the experience Especially a first playthrough that uh, uh, I, I know isn't the game's fault, and I know that they were probably unlikely in some cases. So number one, uh, you got a spell early on, a legendary spell, on like your first or second turn. You were lucky enough to like have randomly drawn something and gotten a- I le- bought it. You bought something that got you a legendary spell uh, when you do that, you look through this legendary spell deck. And I talked to John Getz a little bit afterwards because we were driving home. And he said there aren't that many great, really outstanding spells that kind of jump out right away. But one of them was Meteor. And you got the spell it's called my
0: favorite spell in the game. You got I've this... used it. I love it.
1: Yeah, you got the spell called Meteor. And Meteor basically locks off a. It drops a mage and then it locks off a room from having anyone else in As it. So
0: the mage is the Meteor. Yes. Very thematic, very cool spell. Powerful spell.
1: Um, Okay, so,
0: yes, true. But I just want to say... The brand director of Argent the Consortium.
1: It really is, because... um, So, experiencing that that early in the game, and you getting that, uh, the the board we had set up, uh, there's this whole mechanic of... Uh, the supporters and drafting for the supporters and that's how largely you get the or or only that's how you get the other mages That's
0: how I thought I was gonna win because I I didn't realize that on the board we had two ways to get supporters so I thought that by playing meteor I was gonna lock everyone else off from getting supporters but friend of the show Charlene was very sneakily gathering supporters from the University Tavern all game. Yeah. It actually beat me on getting the most supporters, despite the fact that I was locking off what I thought to be the best way to get them.
1: Yeah, and, and and as good as a play as that might have been, that that was one of the factors that led the game to being really boring.
0: No, it was awesome. You're crazy.
1: Um, definitely talked to a friend of the show, John Getz, and I, he did not like that. Because
0: another way that I thought that it was cool is also... Uh, you guys started coming up with clever ways to address that, right? You started to play around it, uh, where someone would want to take the initiative, which did work. And also, you were playing Energy Drain, which made it more expensive. Can can we talk
1: about this? Uh, Hold on, I I got suddenly angry.
0: Energy Drain, I also lost out on most mana, which is something that I was trying to accrue all game.
1: Yeah, what was that worth? I got that award. Um, okay, so can we talk about that a little bit really quickly? What was your... I, uh, off the record, what was your opinion on that ruling? Because I can't
0: believe that
1: uh, I, I just... I think I'm in the right.
0: Yeah, you are. The, by so oh, there is a... One thing that's complicated, or rather not complicated, but uh, so there is a spell in the Consortium called Energy Drain.
1: That I got right away. Which makes
0: all... Which makes all uh, spells cast cost one additional mana, and that one mana goes immediately to the caster of energy.
1: Journal. All spells cast—that is the language. Did it say all spells cast from this method, or spells that cost nothing? If so, if a spell costs nothing, then doesn't that mean that all spells cast cost one more, and I get the tax, right? Yeah, that's the whole purpose of the spell, right? So we we had this big argument where God bless him, friend of the show, John Getz, is use is using a item in the a game that reduces potion. the cost of a spell to zero. It's fantastic. Okay. Yeah. So you're still casting the spell.
0: And you're getting the spell at a four mana discount, right? It's a four mana spell, plays mana, potion four mana spell costs zero and yet there's this big
1: argument on the board of like well should you have to pay kirby the tax of one if it's free why wouldn't you the the very language of it is when you play a spell it doesn't say when you play a spell that costs mana it just says when you play a spell it costs one more and i get the one more I don't think that's crazy. It wasn't broken. I had to. I had to spend up front, and it was only good if people were going to be slinging a lot of spells. And there's not that many spells. Spells being slung.
0: But you know, there is also something to be said about games having clear rules. I, I feel like the rule was pretty clear. I don't know how. To I feel make like the
1: rule was so clear. Was so clear like the the idea of like oh how does he, these interact and it's like because and because this is one spell in a huge ass deck and it's the only and it's the only spell that i saw the entire time we played that raised mana costs and yeah you're you you have a four mana cost spell and you got to play it for zero but plus zero plus one you still ended up winning out on it but
0: you still have to pay me and you had all the mana uh so it sounds like we're we're you know shooting out a lot of complaints about argent but it is a great game um and one of the reasons why it's great is just because every time you play it you're going to be seeing a different suite of spells you're going to be working with a different board that's going to give you different ways to achieve also the variable game objectives which is another cool thing about it and another reason why uh, it does have some similarities to Scythe.
1: Yeah, I want to go a little bit more in-depth on this because I feel like you kind of just passed up Scythe and you didn't really give me the real Mason opinion. But I want to give you the real the real Kirby opinion. So... um I, I I did feel like the meteor thing was a little bit of a hamper to get early on. Um, that was kind of frustrating, uh, especially I, since... I also,
0: and I hope you don't mind this criticism, but it is pretty often that you enter into a new game uh, that you haven't played before, and you immediately assess something as being overpowered or too powerful or game-breaking or game-defining. I
1: don't know if that is true outside of my thoughts on the radio in Food Chain Magnate and I don't think that I am necessarily I think that I always caveat it with like a a an asterisk and say that that I think for newbies that it it's powerful. Like I I don't I've I don't think I've ever said that you're straight up wrong in saying that the radio doesn't necessary isn't necessarily that strong. If if you if you're playing with a whole team, there, there's a lot of there, there there's something in like there's this thing in citadels that every player realizes the first time they play is overpowered, and they do it. And if the people are dumb that they're playing with, it is incredibly broken. But it is so easy to deal with if the players have played before and. That is kind of a similarity where I feel like radio for, um, uh, radio for, uh, Food Chain Magnate is, like, kind of broken for new players. Because the first person that gets it, if the new players weren't, you know, prepared enough or, or, like, straight up, I'm not intelligent enough in the, or, like, I'm too ignorant about the game to understand, like... The methods that you're going yeah. for and that all of a sudden the game is going to be filled up with, and, l- with lemonade. And, and so if, if I did...
0: It though, yeah, and once you understand that, though, it's so fascinating, right? Because you see someone buy a trainer on the first turn, and you say, okay, he's going to buy a trainer. I'm going to counter with Recruiting Girl. Next turn you buy another Recruiting Girl. You build a kitchen trainee. The next turn, what you do is you produce the first food. Suddenly, you're the only one who has a freezer. And as the only one with a freezer, the person who uh, put out that radio campaign they might not be able to actually produce enough food to cover the demand that their radio is creating there and and you know that's just like one way of thinking about it but
1: i feel like it's, you it's often bad. act like i give food chain matt even from the first time i played food chain magnate you thought that i came away from it kind of lukewarm when that is like not a true assessment
0: like it, love it, gotta have it. Food chain magnate.
1: Argent, food, chain, the food chain magnate was for me a hands down gotta have it, and I feel like you totally read me wrong.
0: I did. Glad you like it. Hope we can play it again soon.
1: Yeah, I I, w- I would only hope the Ti would be that way, but um, uh, for Argent the consortium, um, yeah. So so the the meteor thing was strong in that game. It was. Strong and I'm sure there's sure there's probably ways that people playing that game more often would understand a little bit better how to deal with it or or maybe the other spells get stronger as you and it didn't win me play. the game I mean and it I didn't lost. win you the game um, but it do, but it, it's not about winning the game or losing the game it's more about the fun involved because there was two there was there was a couple main factors working at the fun in the individual game we played and that was that one of the rooms was locked off. Uh, one of the rooms costed money, and that there was no way on the board to gain money, which meant that there was this resource in the game. And you know what? I, I, I love modular tiles. I I even for even for the fact that the the game that that round got kind of busted because one of the resources was kind of non-existent. Uh, I still but think it's
0: interesting situation.
1: I still yes, sometimes. I still think it's an I still think it's interesting. However.
0: But on the first However, playthrough, it yeah. can be it, it can be challenging because you don't know what the lack of that resource means. means so for the overall,
1: game. So I would just compare it to something like like uh, like in, in for example in Ti they have a Babby's first board. So t- typically in Ti when the people yeah. are advanced. What they do is they basically have a draft and they set up the solar system. They set up the entire game or the galaxy kind of where they're setting up all the game board and they're purposely setting it up in an intelligent way uh, based on what other races are in the game. So they can kind of like counter. And they actually do
0: that in Argent as well. It's just that we didn't play with that because um, you were the only newcomer.
1: Yeah. Okay. So fair enough. But, But with TI, when we play it, there is a Babby's first board game, uh, Babby's first round, where uh, it is a it is a galaxy set up to be completely balanced so that everyone is near you know, equally good stuff and that no one is really getting screwed out in the beginning or anything like that, and there's nothing unfair about it. And I feel like for this first game of Argent, I kind of wish I saw something like that, because the room setup we have was... Uh, uh, kind of more lopsided in certain strategies, but when you don't understand strategies, uh, that that is going to fly way over yeah. your head. So and for like,
0: example, once once I saw the um, the, there was an item that produced money every turn and I scooped that up, but somebody might not know to scoop that up unless, you know, like for example, you wouldn't know to scoop that up in the first round because you don't know that there's no way to produce money.
1: Yeah, and that board game and that board game like I said before is like it's kind of a mess visually because there's a lot of these symbols and until you really understand the values of different symbols or why would you go for them or what their meaning is, like how like the first couple rounds like I was so completely at a loss for like where do I want to go? Like I almost want someone to just guide me on what my next move is because I just don't understand it and I feel like we had a really bad board for at least for a first play. If I was going to be, if I was more, if I had played a couple rounds and I could recognize early on that there's this interesting thing going where an entire resource is basically unobtainable, um, that that would be cool. But it ended up not being that cool because probably the most interesting room that we had, had, Gold as a main resource and I couldn't interact with it, which means that which means that from the get go, uh, if we had this, you know, small board of different rooms and. The, one of them is completely locked out because Mason is hitting it with a meteor every turn. One of it is completely locked out because I have no gold to spend on it. So outside of that, there wasn't really that many interesting uh, rooms. And I was even more upset to hear uh, afterwards that you were saying that there are rooms that have instant rewards, which I think would have been more cool. And all the rooms have an A and a B side, and the B side is more advanced. But I don't think that's fair. I think that's like really simple... Uh, to say because maybe we should have used the more advanced version of the infirmary, which is something that gives you more rewards uh, in an interesting way for being punished. And it basically would have kind of kept gold in the game a little bit more or made people feel a little bit more rewarded when they get hit by a take that mechanic. Um,
0: so there's, there's a lot of stuff I feel that, like we didn't hurt people enough. Yeah. I, I, that's fair to say. Yeah, Sure. I feel like we could have had a more aggressive game. I actually had a bunch of defensive stuff set up and then nobody ever hit my mages.
1: Does does that make you think anything Do you do you understand going back to a previous conversation what I what I was talking about when I talk about the psychology of like especially our board gamers and stuff like that where is Sean or is Galloway or is possibly Priya or me going to be the kind of person that wants to make that move you know like
0: see but that's uh, to go back to a darling food chain magnate that's the great thing about food chain magnate is that you don't get a choice yeah so i i I, part of me also thinks like wouldn't it be fascinating to start the day off with food chain magnate because you get everyone's blood going right
1: but again i don't i don't know if if we could i
0: have to I have to to fight these people because we're all sharks.
1: I I, th- I that is really interesting. I I uh, I, I I think that that is what I'm excited for with TI in general. And that's kind of what I'm hyping myself up for is like that experience of like seeing how people interact with these mechanics and like if people get aggro or if they don't get aggro and you know, they're they're, in the starting six races, whether or not we choose to like fully play with them, I would give people an option. Um, if there was people who are married to a race, then I think that's fair. Uh, but, uh, um, I, I think it's going to be really interesting just to see that, especially over the game, if if people are going to stick it out. If there's a chance that we stick it out for that that whole length, what does this psychology look like in that kind of game? Like people don't want to draw first blood, so what does first blood look like in an eight hour game?
0: I think it's something that I do because sometimes I don't. I'm not always playing to win, Ryan. Sometimes I play to create to make a story. Spicy. I like to make things spicy. I like to meteor the room because I want to see what happens.
1: Um, fair. I think that you will be really fun. I think that you actually, now that I'm thinking about it, James, the cat Mason, might be the person that I would most want to see on an advanced race because. And, and
0: the reason I would, I would the, say the why about that
1: is because. Is
0: that, go on.
1: I, I'm just going to say that I would want to see you on an advanced race because I want to see you as the story creator. I want to see you as the the match that lit the spark that created the flame. You know what I mean? Like
0: You know, one one issue that I always have when I do this is that, like, I always do something spicy and inevitably, like, people turn their attention to me and then, like, this is a character flaw. I'll be like, hey... Why are you? Why are you looking at me? Like, what did I do wrong? And like, I kind of know full well, like the the thing that I did wrong. And this is like an active thing that's always happening in games, where I'll like mess with people, and then they'll retaliate, and I'll be like, "Hey, I'm not even ahead. Why are you doing that?" But I kind of know.
1: That happened in uh, Blood Rage. Did I ever tell you that on Fourth of July, we played the third game of Blood Rage that I've played? Uh, with uh, my LTCP and friend of the show, Jay Crawford, and his LTCP, and Priya won again. You
0: guys are uh, on good terms. That's good. And Priya won again.
1: That means she's three for three on Blood Rage.
0: Well, maybe it's time to get Priya Rising Sun as a gift.
1: No, you know what Priya really wants is Food Chain Magnate. Food
0: Chain Magnate, yeah. What what
1: Priya really wants is Food Chain Magnate.
0: I can imagine you guys, like, playing a bunch of Food Chain Magnate and then coming back and kicking my ass.
1: Uh, I can imagine us playing a bunch of Food Chain Magnate and then Priya kicking your ass. She she is uh, outstandingly... She is uh, scary, I think, in some games. Because I, th- I feel like she has a good mastery of uh, when to turn a strategy on. You know? Like, she she'll be quiet for a little while... And then she'd like, she like, while people are like, oh, I don't want to draw first blood or do anything, she's like building up to something, and then suddenly she she like hits a critical mass as people were kind of like letting her under the radar, and then she she pops off and just like totally goes buck wild, and I feel like that is a scary thing. If she ends up being in Ti, I think I would have to have my eyes on her uh, as one of the scariest races, uh, one of the most untrustworthy races in the game but i do i do i do want you to be a wild race okay Uh, it it has been a it has been a a, quite a cast
0: an extended board game podcast of wtdg we also got some video games in there so i think
1: we did a little bit of everything and i I, i'm excited because because i think one of the most fun things to talk about are uh little interesting things like uh i i kind of wish we would uh, like uh, to return to kind of our old format to have something set to talk about. Uh, I think I want to have a bigger discussion over the climax of board games because I feel like we only touched on That's a it. One, yeah. we so, only touched on it. But so
0: let's i started thinking about uh, about you know for the ongoing podcasts uh, maybe just some topics and how we want to start covering those, and uh, maybe we should at the end of every podcast think about uh, a topic for next week. So maybe for next week's podcast, we talk about endings.
1: Or psychology.
0: Psychology. That's a little broad.
1: It's a little broad. Um, Just because uh, next week will be the uh, week of possibly TI. And I think that, T I is gonna be the most psychology on the line board game we've ever encountered.
0: Fumbling. I think it's gonna be less interesting than you think because we're all newbies.
1: Um I think you misinterpret you 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 aren't interpreting the amount of time that eight hours is. I think, if that, we I, th- I, I think that people will start to understand core mechanics by the first thirty minutes to an hour, and that after that it's fair game.
0: Uh, this has been WTDG Podcast. You can find us online at wtdgpodcast.com on iTunes at What's the Deal with Games, or you can read, comment, and subscribe to the show, and on Twitter, which you might know or you might be following, but if you're but if you're not, then do it.
1: Thank you, Ryan Galloway, for crying uh, and crying for the use Thanks of your music. Crying. We use uh, the intro and outro revive off the new album, Beyond the Fleeting Gales. You can find them at the Run for Cover Bandcamp. And you better watch out, Galloway, because if we see each other in space, no one can hear you scream.
0: And Sean better watch out, because if he is on the board on Food Chain Magnate, I will eliminate him from the earth i'll make sure he gets no money i
1: wonder how food chain magnate would go between us i think that food chain magnate and a big group would be almost a ti like experience
0: and i think that well we'll talk about it uh thanks ryan
1: thank you very much james
0: and i've got really great news uh just announced uh base goku is coming to smash ultimate as the newest character
1: Hold on! So hold on! Stop the podcast! I'm, announced- I'm still hold on. How's it Hold on! I, the podcast is still recording. Wait, ha- where can I find? Let's see. Is it on Polygon or something? Are you? Is this a joke?
0: Yeah, this is how I've been signing off the podcast for the last three weeks. I no, say it's so it's and not. So as a character in Smash. Yes, it is. I've been how editing them how do you miss this at the end of every podcast I say this character was just announced for Smash
1: oh okay I don't know if you said base Goku though base Goku actually like you got me the
0: character every week you got me let's see who I can get you with last week
1: wow you got me that was
0: (laughs) there's an article on Polygon called how to choose the least annoying Octopath Traveler
1: (laughs) (laughs) wait really well I'm looking for this
0: yeah, number one is. Oh yeah, yeah. There we
1: go, Brian Gilbert. It's better have cool protagonist than a strong one. Neat. Um, I
0: actually think the best one is Tressa, but whatever.
1: Oh, he has Tressa at six. Number one is Ferrian.
0: Harsh. Also, I can't believe that Primrose is eight. I mean, Primrose is weak by herself, but man, Hanet is definitely the most annoying. The
1: only one I have is Alfin. He's a doctor, pretty standard apothecary, not really annoying, not really perfect. Also, he says this, try to give the, the pipe a rest, sir, here. What? That's not, this is a bad article.
0: But it is a funny headline.
1: It is, it's a funny headline and a bad article. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you very much, James.
0: Bye.